All right, my friends, thanks for tuning into the podcast, where, as always, we'll discuss the professional literature and the evidence-based protocol as they relate to the effective treatment of clinically significant anxiety symptoms. I'm Chris Lines, licensed psychotherapist and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist, and this, well, this is OCD Straight Talk. I think at some point you've got to override your urge to manage your anxiety. You know, at, at some point you've got to decide that you're not going to do anything about the thoughts that happen. And, and that is admittedly, listen, it's an extremely supremely difficult thing to do. But, but like I often say to you, don't bullshit yourself and say, well, I can't do that. Like it is skillful and it is difficult and ain't nobody going to say it's not. Well, of course it is, but don't cheat yourself, man. And say, well, I can't do that. Bullshit. You haven't, you haven't done that yet. I can't no stop. Yes, you can. There's nothing super special about any of us to do that. We just work fucking hard at it, really hard. We're diligent. We're diligent. We're disciplined, right? We're, we're consistent about it. We work hard at it, but special, I mean, come on, no, right? And you can, you just haven't done it yet, right? And so at some point you have to decide, look, I don't care how I feel. I'm going to do this the right way, right? And I often say that to patients, I mean, with, with all affection and respect for them. I'll often say, I don't care how you feel. I want to see you engage the technique correctly, right? And by that point in our relationship, they understand that I'm not trying to be a dick. You know, when I say that, I'm not trying to be this insensitive prick, this, this mean guy who says, well, I don't care. No, what I'm saying is I'm trying to help you. But if you keep following your heart here, well, I can't feel anxious. You keep letting your your emotions lead the way. And then you engage behaviors to try and quell the intensity of the anxiety. Like if that's your strategy, bro, you're never going to go anywhere in terms of therapeutic progress. We have to think about it from the opposite point of view. You have to come at this from the backside, right? For, start at Z and go back to A. You, you can't do it the conventional way. You can't be sitting here thinking, well, I'm anxious, so I'm going to do something about it. You have to be able to say, I'm going to override my urge. I'm not saying override the feelings. Like, <clears throat> that might be synonymous to your mind with, well, I'm going to distract myself from my anxiety, which falls directly into the, the definitional parameters of a compulsion. Right? So I'm not saying distract yourself from your feelings. No, what I'm saying is override your urge to manage your anxiety. Override your urge to neutralize the feared outcome, to, to dismiss and get rid of the intrusive thought. So it's like what happens is your, your focus comes to be on whatever it is that you're doing to try and achieve that objective. Well, I'm just, I just need to feel better. I just, I just got to feel better. 
So I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I'm going to go take a nap, right? Or, or I'm going to distract myself with, with a telephone call or, you know, you know, whatever, I mean, whatever it is, I'm going to engage these conventional compulsions over here, these frequent flyer bitches that I'm always doing. Like it's, it's, it's this, this strategy, it's this strategy that's keeping your wheels spinning. You're thinking about this too traditionally, and it makes sense. Of course it does. I'm not saying it doesn't make any sense. I'm saying it's ineffective. And the research backs that up and has for decades of time. It's unhelpful in any, in any capacity to you to engage these compulsive patterns, to distract yourself from your feelings and your thoughts. So I'm not saying override the feelings. I'm saying override the urge to manage them. So I had this panic attack a couple of days ago. And it wasn't one of those panic attacks, unfortunately for me, that lasted for a few minutes. It was one of those panic attacks that went on for a couple of hours, right? And it was exhausting, right? My mind was just, oh my, my mind was going and going and going. And you know what I'm talking about. It's just like the, the, the intrusive thoughts would fly in and then this sort of ruminative response would sort of, I'm here to rescue the day and, and would come over and start thinking and thinking and, and trying to disprove and trying to put out that fire and try to, you know, get rid of this thought. Oh, it'll be okay. Oh, don't worry about it. Well, this happened and everything's fine. And, you know, and then more intrusive, thought, boom, 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 boom. And anxiety screaming high, whistling high. Right. And the, and the, I was very difficult to get the rumination to stop. And again, you know what I'm talking about. And I found myself kind of engaging these motor responses, sort of behavioral compulsions. Just, just trying to get my head above water, just trying to feel a little bit better, at least for a little bit of time. But it just wouldn't leave me alone. And at some point, I sort of come to this realization, bro, you've got to override your urge to manage this shit. And that doesn't, it's not a, how, how do I say? It's, it's not a, an, an obvious, uh, it doesn't occur to you you know, as something that's really, really instinctive. I might even say, what's the opposite of that? Who's having a panic attack and says, well, I'm going to do everything I can to keep the anxiety going. Or at the very least, I'm going to stop doing everything I am doing to feel better. Like, you know, you just sound like a moron. Like, why would you do that? You know, and, but it's like, I, I'm determining to override my urge to manage anxiety and thoughts. And what that means is it gets really intense for a period of time, right? And whether we're talking about a panic attack or we're talking about OCD or we're talking about specific phobia or whatever it is that we're dealing with, you know, and this is even the case in like depression, right? And, and, and the statistics are, are there. It's like six to seven out of every 10 individuals dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder have comorbid major depressive episodes too. So like, you know, it's like double fist in it, you know? So I've had the conversation a lot of times explaining this idea. And I can tell you for whatever reason it is, I don't know why the depressed folks often get the idea more quickly. And again, I don't pretend to know why that is, but I just noticed from clinical experience that when you explain sort of the cognitive behavioral strategy 
and, and uh, rationale to the the two communities. The depressed people just seem to get a hold of it. They're a little more sympathetic uh, to the idea. They seem to to almost I might say believe it in a way that the the anxious individuals are are skeptical. So like you might ask them, well, how do you think you'd feel if you got up tomorrow and, and, and you got up on time, right? Let's say you're getting up at, at quarter to eight in the morning, right? You're not sleeping in. You're not doing that whole bullshit. You're getting up, right? Even though it sucks and nobody's saying it doesn't, right? We get ready for the day. We take a shower and get some breakfast. You know, we're eating three meals a day. That's another piece of it. We're eating, we're getting up on time and we're filling our day with like cool shit, right? I'm, like, I'm going for a walk or I'm going for a run or I'm going to hit the gym and work out for 45 minutes or an hour, right? And, and, and I'm going to make plans with my friend. He's been asking to hang out. So I'm going to make plans and, and we're going to go to the mall and we're going to do whatever it is. We're going to go out to eat, whatever. And then I'm going to come back here and I'm going to read a book. And maybe not the whole book, but I'm going to read like, you know, whatever, 25 or 30 pages and, and just that book I've been wanting to read, and, you know, and, and, and then maybe after that, what I'll do is, is, uh, is go for a walk or, or maybe what I'll do is, is engage my hobby. Right. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm quilting or, or I'm working on my video game or whatever it is. I got this sort of hobby going on. So I'm doing that. And, and maybe the whole time, by the way, I'm feeling like shit. Like I don't want to do any of this stuff, but, but I'm disciplined to engage the activities, even though I don't feel good. Right. You see what I'm saying? And we engage these kinds of, this goes on for like six or seven or eight hours. And then by the end of it, it's like, okay, I've kind of had a day and and, 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 you know, I'm going to finish up by eating my dinner. So it's the third meal of the day. And, and then maybe I'll watch a couple of shows and go to bed on time. Right now, maybe I don't fall asleep right away, but my ass is in bed on time. How do you think you'd feel by the end of that? You know, and, and a lot of depressed people are going to say, well, well, I wouldn't want to do any of that. Like, I understand that makes very good sense to me. You wouldn't want to do it. But the question is, how do you think you'd feel at the end of it? And I don't mean to say to a man or to a woman, but a lot of depressed people are going to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd feel a little bit better. I mean, I guess. Right. And, and, and they're a bit resistant to saying that they don't want to say it, you know, because it, cause it sucks. Right. Yeah, I guess I'd feel a little bit better. Uh, well, let's imagine you got up the second day and you did the same thing. Right. And you got up on time and, and you made sure that you ate three meals and maybe you threw in a snack and, and, and you got in some exercise and, and you're, you, you engaged your hobbies, you read a little bit and, and, uh, you had some social activities and engagements and, and you kept yourself busy throughout the course of the day. And by the way, you try to stay out of your head in terms of ruminating on what, what's making you feel depressed and upset. You just try to stay engaged in life and so on. By the end of the second day, how, how do you, how do you think you'd feel? You know, by this point, like, yeah, I mean, I, I do think I'd feel a little bit better you know, then if I just sat around and did shit, right? Okay, great. So let's imagine you did that the third day and the fourth and the fifth. And let's imagine you got through a week of it. And, and maybe it was hard. I mean, be feeling really depressed and, and I'm not saying you wouldn't be, but, but let's just imagine you got through a week of it. How do you think you'd feel? Right. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I definitely would be feeling better. I think more hopeful and, and less depressed. And yeah, I mean, I just don't think I could do that. Right, 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 right. But, but let's just imagine you did it. Let's imagine that you sort of overrode the urges to, to feel better, right. It's a sort of manage the depression and, and, 
and, and to kind of figure out how to make your life better. And you just sort of got away from all that and you just engaged life from a physical, intellectual and social point of view. And, and, and you engaged it vigorously and, and consistently from, from a, you know, you, you, you were serious about it, right? Even though you didn't feel good. And, and how do you think you'd feel after two weeks of that and three weeks of that, you know, and, and so on. And the, the truth of the matter is this sort of behavioral change is, is effective and, it, and it's relevant, whether we're talking about depression or we're talking about anxiety. And the, the, the point is you have to be able at some point to override the urge to manage the feelings by meaningfully, consistently engaging life in such a way that you're not depressed, even though you feel depressed, in such a way that you're not clinically anxious about whatever it is, even though you are anxious about whatever it is, right? Which, which means you're, you're working to identify these different behaviors that you're engaging and maybe you say, well, it's different, don't you think, if you're depressed versus if you're anxious? And I think, well, the obvious answer to that is, well, yeah, there's there's some clear symptomatologic differences between those who are depressed and and those who are anxious. You know, there's some clear differences. And, and I don't think anybody's saying that that's not the case, but we're not necessarily talking about symptoms because there's clear symptoms, be, uh, symptomatologic differences between, let's say, panic disorder and <clears throat> social anxiety disorder, right? Or, or panic disorder and, and specific phobia or panic disorder and OCD, right? There's very clear and, and obvious symptomatologic differences between these. If that weren't the case, we wouldn't be able to, to draw diagnostic lines between them. Of course, there's, there's important differences, but bear in mind the treatment for these is extraordinarily synonymous. If not, the treatment is in effect the same thing across the board. So I think that it's important to, to, highlight that, yeah, I mean, yes, there's some differences in symptoms, but when we're talking about treatment, it comes down to behavioral change. The real difference is with depression, the behavior change is adding back in life because depression takes away our hobbies. It takes away our social engagements. It takes away our productivity at work, right? And our presence mentally in the room, right? It takes away all manner of things. And this is often referred to as anhedonia, right? Or the, the loss of pleasure. I mean, depression's more than that, but, but oftentimes depression involves behaviors that were meaningful and that were satisfying that have gone away because of depression. Whereas with anxiety, it's often the opposite, right? It's behaviors that have shown up in order to manage it, right? And it's stuff I'm now doing like extra hand washing and, and, and stuff I'm now doing like hours of research or, or seeking reassurance. And, and we can kind of point to avoidance as something that I am doing 
if you will, as opposed to something I'm not, although you could sort of couch it either way, but, but on and on the list goes of behaviors I'm engaging for the purpose of managing the anxiety. But fundamentally you can look at the, the treatment for depression, behaviorally speaking, and the treatment for clinically significant anxiety symptoms, again, behaviorally speaking, and understand them from almost precisely the same point of view. And the longer we act depressed, the longer we're going to feel depressed, right? The longer we act anxious, the longer we're going to feel anxious. And that's just the truth of it. And so there's this idea that you, you have to be able to override the urge to manage and drive straight through the storm and just tolerate the thoughts that happen and tolerate the emotionality that's elicited by them. Can you live as if you're not anxious long enough to feel better? But, but that's like, don't listen to me. Don't bullshit yourself. You're not bullshitting me. You're not bullshitting your family. And meaning maybe you're deceiving them. Maybe you are. I don't know. But what I'm saying is they're not the ones that lose out. Not really. You are. So don't cheat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. Don't bullshit. Can you identify the behaviors that you're engaging and work hard, hard and keep going? Not just for a couple of minutes, get discouraged and, and, and get blown over by the, by the first wind that comes, but can you work to get your ass up and get back to work, work hard, keep working, get up again. You get knocked over. You get discouraged. Fine. Dust yourself off, get a drink of water and get your ass back up there on the firing line. Get back to work. What do we do when we fall off the horse? We get our ass back on, get back to work, identifying and stopping the behaviors, identifying and stopping the behaviors. And it's a process and it is be patient with it. Be patient with yourself. Have some grace, right? The reality is you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get out overnight. Take your time with it, but keep fucking working. You've got to keep working right? If six months from now, you're still anxious, bet your bottom dollar. It's because you're acting that way, right? Maybe you haven't paid close enough attention to how you're acting that way. Dig deeper, look more carefully. The answers are there, man. You've got to find them. What are you doing? Listen to me. What are you doing to try and manage your anxiety, to prevent your anxiety, right? To get rid of your anxiety, or to neutralize your feared outcomes. That is to say, to try and, and quiet those thoughts or to try and, like I say, prevent those thoughts, right? And, and when you look at that definition from a more robust point of view, what you begin to see is these behaviors can be anywhere and everywhere. They can be longstanding habitual actions that have been going on for so long that I don't even see it anymore. They can be super, super subtle. They can be obvious. Just know this. They don't want to be found. You're going to have to do the work. Do the work. You're worth it. Your life is worth it. Do the work of finding them and then choking the shit out of those behaviors. Do whatever you've got to do to stop them. Well, that's it for another episode of OCD Straight Talk. 
feel free to reach out with any questions you might have to chrislines04 at gmail.com. If you found the podcast helpful, consider giving it a five-star rating or subscribing to OCD Straight Talk for structured help with your anxiety or OCD symptoms. Thank you.